podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Some people take the straight path in life. But at Arizona State University, we respect your twists and turns. They make our online students more driven to excel in their professional lives. That's why our personalized suite of services empowers you with innovative resources and staff that sticks with you. Make your next turn with one of our 300-plus programs at ASU, number one in innovation for nine consecutive years. Visit us at asuonline.asu.edu to learn more. Today, we discuss Miro. Listen, when it comes to running client workshops, the dream, of course, is to get those creative juices flowing, right? But typically what ends up happening is thousands of hours get wasted because of poorly facilitated meetings. So I have Maya with me today. She's a consultant who runs Fortune 100 workshops from leadership training to team building, and she has the insider tip on what makes things work. Maya? Thank you, Jason. I've been doing this a long time. My number one tip is to bring everyone into that visual collaboration platform. So personally, I use Miro. And it's completely changed how I interact with the room. You have to give people a way to feel like they're in the room, even when they're not. That's something you can do easily in Miro. Otherwise, they've seen the same slides and format a thousand times. Falling asleep, eyes glazing over, yawns, all that. Exactly. When people follow me on the Miro board, everyone is literally going on a journey with me. We're adding thoughts, we're reacting, and we're voting for the best ideas. It's great. Connective magic. I like it. That's M-I-R-O.com. Hello and welcome to Lakeside Drive. We have many, many thoughts about many, many things this weekend. Please join us while we attempt to untangle them but likely make it worse. In this episode, we review the United States Grand Prix. joined by my friend and yours, Thomas J. Camp. How are you doing? You've had an early morning. Oh, I've had early mornings every every morning this weekend, so it was good. No, how good is Austin? Great. Yeah, it was a great weekend. Looked like an amazing event. You were sending photos through the whole time. All Blacks are in the World Cup final against South Africa, so that's very exciting too. So, uh, yeah, what a great weekend of sport. Yeah. How was it? Everything's coming coming up campy. Oh, it was fantastic. It was so great. I've got some souvenirs. We're going to do a quick show nice. and tell. Um, I know this is a podcast, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to hold it up to the screen and you can describe what you see for yep. our listeners. Um, this is the first purchase from the weekend. Texas boots. <laughs> Love that. Yeah. <laughs> tell Tell, describe the boots, Campy. Describe these boots for our listeners. So what the, do you see? Give us your fashion analysis. It's not quite a beige suede, but it's more of like a, a lighter caramel side or caramel for our American listeners. And there's a few, uh, what are they, <laughs> native Indian patterns sort of, what, burnt into the leather? Is that what I'm saying correctly? So very cool. Very cool. Yeah, it's it's like stitched stitched in. Um, they are very cool. They got their first night out uh, last night, so they're already getting some good wear. And the other one is this was giving me some good uh, sun protection on the weekend. Tell us what you oh, see. Just the good old uh, the good old hat doesn't have a flap, unfortunately, but it's got it's got a howdy on the yeah. front of it. So very nice. <laughs> It does. We picked up some good merch and it's already been put to very good use, keeping us uh, sun smart and uh, our feet well protected. So, no, it's been an awesome weekend and we'll get stuck into the um, 
the experience, I suppose, when we talk about uh, the weekend as a whole. But just first of all, to get us started, let's talk about some of the most pressing news which we need to discuss as the official, you know, uh, regulators of this sport, Campy, which we are. Now, it came out after the race, sometime after the race, that both Hamilton and Leclerc were disqualified. Before we get stuck into it, I'm just going to go through a quick summary as to why that was the case for anybody who's perhaps not uh, as familiar with this part of the car. So basically, underneath the car, you've got the plank. It's also called the skid block. It was introduced in 1994, and it's to make sure that the cars don't run too close to the ground, basically. So the thickness of the plank has to be 10 millimetres, plus or minus 0.2. So they also allow a bit of kind of wiggle room of of a millimetre um, just to normal wear and tear. Now, what they do after each race is a standard check. It's a physical floor and plank wear inspection, which they did this weekend on Hamilton, Leclerc, Verstappen and Norris's car. Of course, we learned that both Hamilton and Leclerc's car breached the acceptable nine millimetre wear. Now, what's really interesting this weekend was kind of a unique combination of variables, Campy, in that we have a sprint weekend. So Park Ferme conditions begin on the Friday when they go out for qualifying. And then that car has to make it through qualifying, the sprint shootout, the sprint and the com- and the Grand Prix. And of course, it's a really bumpy track. So interesting conditions um, and not necessarily that surprising that this is the track that, you know, we, we found this um, this issue in two of the cars. What was your reaction? Well, when we learned I was pretty news? disappointed, if I'm honest. I just think it's just an overreach and it's a bit... It's a bit the legality of it for me. It's just a bit over the top. I think, I think taking all the things into consideration that you just said, and and the fact that this track has deteriorated from what it was originally designed to do, appallingly year after year, and it gets worse and worse. I think they did some work on the, at least on the front straight this year, but that 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 run up up into turn one, that left hand turn they take. That is for the last few years. That's all we've talked about over the whole weekend. So I <laughs> think a bit of leeway is, is there, but then the reality is they're running the car too low, which is causing it to happen. Yes, there's a there's, there's a there's a whole element of, of issues that cause this problem, but every other team did it on track too, so got it right. So I I struggle with it a bit. I think it's, I mean, the championship's over. Lewis Hamilton on a, pen, on a podium for what, the second time this year. I think it's was good for him and that Mercedes looks quick quick with their uh, upgraded floor that they bought this weekend. So, yeah, it's a bit frustrating. Sonoda gets an extra couple of points too, which means it sucks for Danny Rick, but not that that's really the the big deal. Yeah, I just – and (laughs) post-race. I don't like it post-race after we've celebrated the podiums, all the interviews are done, the weekend's happened, and then four or five hours after the event – that chooses to happen. Now, it has to happen at some time, but I just think they could possibly well, – they have sensors everywhere, other, every other way in the car. Why don't they just put a sticker ingrained in the floor at nine millimetres so that if it's exposed, they just put a camera underneath and if you can see the sticker, well, then you're illegal it, or something like that. Anyway, it's a bit frustrating for me and it just it, – the whole weekend lost a bit of its uh, – lost a bit of its gloss, glossy shine. I think that's it. It's 
it's not so much I think anybody kind of disagreeing that it wasn't the right thing to do. Like you said, their their rules, everybody, every other team, well, we don't actually know if every other team um, got it right because they don't inspect all cars, which is a fair question. I think a lot of people did say, well, wait a second, these two got disqualified. Why didn't you check the rest of the cars if you already know that there's two? But that's not how these work. The idea, there's just not time. You know, there's not time to go and inspect every single part of every single car afterwards. The randomised checks is meant to be a deterrent in, um, in order to help the teams be motivated to get the get it right in terms of their setup being within the rules and regulations. I think, to your point, the issue that many of us people people will have with it is is the experience impact, I suppose. And and it was things like you know because there was a lot of crowd booing and this that and the other. It was that idea of going, well, we booed for no reason, <laughs> and poor Logan Sargent got his first point, and there was no yeah. celebration yeah. for it, and. The where it where it could get interesting, I think, is because Mercedes in particular have really pointed to the track in terms of saying, you know, that's the reason why um, we we had this issue here. So I think Coda might have to put their thinking beanies on um, and see what they can come up with to try and make it make sure it's a track that they keep wanting to go back to and to race that. We know that they put on a good show and the drivers like being there, but that's not always uh, enough, especially when they are looking at different tracks over in the US. But I think overall um, when it comes to being the the governing body that we are, Campy, we can probably agree that it's frustrating but was the right thing to do. The other thing I just wanted to mention, we're not going to go into all details about F1 Academy um, in this episode. I'm going to do a full separate episode. Um, So look out for that coming up and we'll look at the entire season. But we did have our first ever F1 Academy champion crowned. So Marta Garcia, well done. And it was awesome. I'm not sure you can tell us how much you saw on the... um, the broadcast about this, but certainly for our perspective there, it felt like there was a really big turnout um, in terms of supporting that group, uh, particularly from the Mercedes drivers actually, George Russell and and Lewis Hamilton going down and uh, supporting them in the F1 Academy paddock um, and I think George was actually doing some presentations as well. Did you see much of it um, uh, as part of the broadcast? No, I didn't. I uh... Unfortunately, yeah, it just didn't happen. Just I didn't watch a lot of the extras on the weekend. It was just you know, replays and stuff. So Yeah, no, so the, we've had our first kind of driver signing for next year with Bianca Bustamante, who's a Filipino driver, um, and so that was really exciting. We saw a lot of them interviewed on stage uh, at the track um, with Lizzie McIntosh and, and Laura Winter, so they were getting lots of airtime when it came to opportunities to engage with the crowd and presenters, and I saw that they were on the um, the post-race uh, show as well. So great to see they did get some coverage, and we look forward to seeing all of their races being broadcast next year. But as I mentioned, we'll do a full episode and talk all about F1 Academy separately. Let's jump into our Discord comment of the week. And now it's time for the Discord comment of the week. Official Discord comment of the week. Uh, I'm going to let James uh, allocate this one so he can feel included uh, in this podcast still from afar while he continues to work on his recovery. He has said his comment of the week is from Ross, which is as follows. Zach Brown will wheel out how marketable he is to a certain demographic or whatever, and I will lose the will to live. Obviously referring to Lando Norris. <laughs> Very good. I couldn't believe how many Lando supporters there were, Campy. I had to really master my kind of 
pleasant complimentary face instead of just yelling why at people. Um, there were there was a lot of support for him in in Kodak. Well, are they real supporters? That's the real question. Are they, are they draft to survive fans, and are they young <laughs> girls under twenty five that think he's the cutest thing alive? I I understand that appeal. Is he as cute as Danny Rick? Not a chance. That smile, that beats everything. <laughs> but maybe that's what it is. No, he's a well-liked character and we give him a bit of shit here on uh, on Lakeside Drive, but he, I'm sure he's around the world. He's well-loved and well-liked by the younger generation. Anyway, good for him. <laughs> <laughs> I just enjoy the fact that we now know that Campy understands the perspective of a 22-year-old girl. So that's always good to know. <laughs> Um, what was your Discord uh, legend of the week? So we have a photo here from one of the greatest movies of all time. It was Wayne's World and it's the scene where they're singing uh, Bohemian Rhapsody <laughs> in the car and headbanging. And uh, one of the comments from GSA is, these days it's driving a Mercedes van with a banging sound system but listening to a podcast instead. And Tilly Willy 13 <laughs> comes in with, ditto, my Kia Sorento. So... <laughs> Who would drive a Kia and a Sorento? I have no idea, but that's a cracking comment right there. Excellent. Well done. Mine is going to Protagoras, who, after we learned that Lando was driver of the day, asks this very fair question, which is, is driver of the day just Sky UK or all of F1? We hear you. It can feel like that sometimes. (laughs) Oscar got it. Oscar beat him uh, two weeks ago on his... uh, after his second place, so that's good. But is that just because he's new and shiny Indeed, and everyone's giving him a bit of a kudos claps because hey, he's done well in his first race, first official podium? <laughs> I'm going to choose to say think that that's not that that's not it. <laughs> but uh, although actually that does remind me of a funny comment uh, that came out of Lando this weekend because he was saying that Qatar was probably their biggest opportunity this year. I was like, oh, you mean Qatar where Oscar beat you? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, savage, savage. All righty, let's get stuck into the weekend coverage, talking about broadcast. Now, I know you weren't able to watch uh, as much potentially, and, of course, I was watching the broadcast um, because we were there, but let's start with uh, the anthem, Campy, mixed reviews, mixed reviews. It's a tough crowd. Give us your honest opinion as you slap your chest. I I love, I love the US anthem. That is being in in that country when they sing the anthem at absolutely everything and how passionate and patriotic people are about their country and just particularly in that part of the world. I, 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 was, I was genuinely got quite emotional when I was watching it, seeing all these people, because I wasn't a super patriotic guy about But I came back and I was like, yeah, I need to love my country a bit more just because of that. So I, I dug the anthem. It was a bit like the Pump Goes Pop acoustic <laughs> version CDs compilations from back in the day. Um, how I thought it felt really good. The acoustic guitar was good. It had a good feel to it. It was nice and, it was nice and smooth. I can see why people... Didn't love it, but hey, I, 
I was into it. I, I loved it. It was the greatest anthem of all time for me. There uh, there were some comments suggesting that it was a little bit lullaby-esque, um, but luckily there was enough fireworks and helicopters to keep us awake, even <laughs> if that was the effect that it had on you as a watcher and listener. Now, here's, what, here's some of the comments from the Discord about uh, the broadcast this weekend. We've got one comment here saying, for the love of Ricardo, could the TV director please show us an overtake from one of the dozens of cameras around the track rather than a garbage onboard view? Another comment says the TV coverage for midfield and lower is woeful. That's literally where all the action is happening. The front of the pack is pretty much sorted and set and forget. What are your thoughts about what the viewing experience was like? Oh, I didn't watch as I said earlier, I didn't watch a lot of the off-track stuff. But, uh, yeah, it is frustrating now that Danny Rick is back on the grid and unfortunately for us he's driving in that bottom bottom 10 most of the time. Uh, it is frustrating because you're watching it play out on the timing screens to the left and you are seeing him bring gaps of five seconds down to nothing and then passing people, but you have to wait five minutes on track. So for that, it's a big – just sort it out. We're not seeing a lot of passing like we did earlier in the year. Um, so they should at least show us all of them at some mm. stage. So Yeah, exactly. When they happen, give them to us. We want to see it. Um, as much as we love the inevitability of Max driving off into the summer, even when he does have to work for it like he did this weekend, we want to see what's happening behind him. There's a few other things just in terms of this weekend that I thought I would share in terms of the on-track experience or the on-location experience. The first one, and this is going to be on behalf of James again, um, is the lack of flyover. Now, we were there and we were watching this skydiver come down with a giant American flag. I'm like, oh, that's really cool. That's excellent. And then the fireworks went off and then we everyone kind of stood around waiting (laughs) and then a couple more fireworks went off, at at which point there was a helicopter directly above them and the entire crowd around us literally just had their like heart in their mouth and there is absolutely no way that helicopter knew they were about to happen and you watched him suddenly try and get out of there. It was near catastrophe. Um, But then we all stood around waiting. It's like, where are my jets? Where are my fighter jets? I really thought we were going to have a really impressive flyover. What else is the US? <laughs> yeah, I know. Don't have a massive military. Home of the free, you land of the brave. Give At me least some... get a flyover. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Give me a dud helicopter. We want yeah. F-35s give, or give the Raptors. crashing helicopter. <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. So, and we were all kind of looking around and we even had some hypotheses because we saw some commercial flights kind of head towards the track but then turn off. I was like, oh, yeah, they must have uh, cleared, you know, this is a no-fly zone and everyone was kind of waiting for it. And then, you know, you're watching your clock tick by and you go, no, there's not enough time now. So that was actually really disappointing. I wanted uh, fighter jets and I had a helicopter nearly crash. Um, but the, I will say that this skydiver was, was very cool. Some other things about the weekend, um, just in terms of, I suppose, the experience there and if anyone's thinking of of going, definitely the best experience I've had in terms of GA, right? So getting out there, the shuttle works pretty well. I mean, it's obviously a logistical nightmare, but they had a pretty 
cracking effort at getting everybody out there um, and just having continuous massive shuttles coming and going from town. So that works pretty well. Um, just in terms of food and drink and everything else, heaps of options um, and all really great. So, it's, of course, it's expensive, but it's always going to be. Um, so we we loved that side of it. It is. It was really hot. Like to say, I know the humidity wasn't as significant as it is in other places, but it was really hot. So the lack of shade is probably my biggest um, kind of comment uh, or bone to pick. It's it's pretty hard to try and uh, not get scorched while you're out there. There were also two performances, both of which I attended, and this is something which uh, I think there's a couple of Discord members who you're going to have to, we're going to have to take this outside because they were there saying that Queen was shit. And I just want to say, well, you can't bring Freddie Mercury back from the dead. <laughs> Even if it is with Lambert, that's okay. They are absolute <laughs> rock stars, a hundred percent. So here's my here's my three things about the Queen performance. All right, it's a really tough crowd. It's a Formula One crowd. These are not people who are obsessed with Queen and have come to see Queen and are going to be easily entertained, kind of by them, their music. Right. So it's a it's a tough crowd. It's also a difficult setting. You're just on this massive hill. Um, it, there's not much of an incline. So if you're kind of towards the back, you can't really see much. Um, so it's not like it's great open space, fits us people, but it's not great in terms of, um, I suppose, the viewing experience. But finally, and this is a bit more niche, um, he's not Freddie and he's not trying to be Freddie. And I encourage you to go and watch the documentary where they talk about why they chose Adam Lambert because they've said he's the first person who we met, who isn't trying to be him. He's just taking it and performing it in his own way whilst kind of honouring Freddie in the way that he goes about it. So uh, anybody who thought that that was terrible, you can get in the bin and stay there. (laughs) We would all love Oasis to do a comeback, but it just ain't going to happen. You know what? There is bands that I've never got to see and Queen is one of the bands I haven't got to see. And I don't care if it's with Mercury or not. Mercury was gone before I was born. So the reality is I was never going to see it. So any opportunity to see a a behemoth of the music industry like that, bring it on. Now, did you get into town to see Stapleton? I did not. I did not see him, but I I am wearing my Chris Stapleton (laughs) (laughs) T-shirt. No sleeves too. Because uh, I feel bad. (laughs) Yeah, no sleeves. I've I've gone full America, Campy. Um, It's... uh, we didn't get in to see him, unfortunately. Uh, so I'm wearing a T-shirt in his, in his honour. There's just too much on for the weekend. But I did see Tiesto, who is the absolute shit, by the way. He was so great. He was loving life. The crowd was loving it. And that was a great spot. It was at a different amphitheatre, much smaller. Um, and it was at the end of the race. So everyone's in really high spirits. They're all ready for a party. And he absolutely brought it. So I don't care how old he is or how old that makes me. I'm here for it. And he put on an excellent show. So overall, for our Tommy T's broadcast review, what are you giving it out of 10? Oh, I'll give it seven because it's Texas and it's America. So what could possibly go <laughs> wrong? <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to give it a 7.5 and it could have been brought up to an 8 if we'd had that flyover, but you've left me disappointed, I'm afraid. Okay, let's review our predictions um, from the weekend. So quick reminder, Campy on the front row had Verstappen and Piastri. You had on your podium Piastri, Verstappen and Hamilton and then you had Gasly in 10th. So 
Nah. I you, mean, if you, you gotta. Nah. <laughs> Max, Max, Max doesn't count because he's won everything this year. So, yeah, it's the other ones you're looking at. I had Hamilton on there too, which, well, hmm. yeah, maybe I did all right. Mate, not too bad. How'd you go? <laughs> Middle of the row. I had Verstappen and Signs as my front row, and my podium was Verstappen, Hamilton, and Piastri. So I did have. Ham, sorry, I did have uh, Verstappen and Hamilton in the correct places, so I feel like uh, that's something. And then Checo in tenth, so maybe we've broken records <laughs> because both Gasly and Checo finished pretty well. And then James, his actual we were giving a bit of shit last week, but his actual prediction was front row Verstappen and Piastri, same as you. Podium was Verstappen, Piastri, and Russell. So, no, sorry, James, Russell, you're not getting that one. Russell and you did have Albon in 10th, though. Yeah, no good at all for Russell George. But Albon in 10th was a, diff, a decent call. So, look, I think we've broken some curses and that's something to celebrate. Now, let's get into our team by team analysis. This is a pretty. Uh, entangled mess of an order to go through Campy because we've got so many teams where you had one person who did all right, the other one DNF and that type of thing. So they're about as organised as my thoughts right now. But let's start with Haas. They were both in the pit lane. Their upgrades didn't really work as planned. What were your reflections on their performance this weekend? Again, didn't see a lot of them. They, you know, starting from the back with the Aston Martins too, they, they sort of got left in their wake a bit. Mm. By mid-race, they caught up to there. Or they were in the, you know, they were at least surrounding other cars. So, yeah, it was a shame for them as an organisation bringing the upgrades. It was supposed to be their big weekend where they could had two chances of qualifying and we know what they've done in qualifying at times this year. So it would have been great for them to, uh, <laughs> to perform on home soil, but unfortunately it didn't work out that way. And when, when they're trying to make setup changes to before the race, under Perk Farmer, uh, uh, Perk Farmer conditions in order to get the results they want. It's it's frustrating for them that it didn't work out on track. So I don't think either driver or the organisation would be wholly impressed with uh, with the way their weekend turned out. But um, that's just the reality. Sometimes they've just got to get better. Yeah, they're going to have some work to do for their last couple of races. I think the tricky thing is now with a team like that at this point in the season, I was actually quite surprised that they were still trying to bring an upgrade, that they haven't just thrown their effort into next year. But hopefully they can get a couple of different decent qualifyings under their belt before we wrap up the 2023 season. Let's talk about Alfa Romeo. They, I think, would be quite hopeful going into Mexico, they couldn't run the heights that they wanted to because of the bumps. Now, that I find interesting because they wanted to run their car lower but didn't because they were like, it's not going to work because of the bumps. So that's kind of interesting given what we were talking about earlier. Bottas qualified 13th, finished 12th after the um, the promotions basically, and Joe qualified 12th, finished 13th. They said that they were struggling with pace under high fuel loads and I'm just wondering how much that has to do with the sprint um, setup and that they don't get much of those long runs under high fuel loads when it comes to practice. Did you take much away in terms of how, how you think about a, a sprint weekend and teams like this and how they have to go about their setup and their 
practice time and all that type of thing? What I like about it is it just it, it, it throws everything up in the air. You have to do all the work in your factory beforehand on the simulator and get the setups that you want. And uh, I think if you don't have the correlation between on track and then back onto your computer system, like the, the gap between reality and that computer, it stuffs it up. And we saw that, you know, you get an hour in a car to do your practice and then you're straight into a qualifying and then your next session is another qualifying session into a sprint race, into a race. So there is not time to adjust and figure out the direction that the car needs to go. So I, I like it. I like it for the odd weekend here and there. I don't like it every – I wouldn't like it every race weekend. I don't think that's what we want to say. I'm a bit of a purist at heart. I like the old hour and a half sessions on a Friday, not the hour sessions. So um, it's – look, I think – it's good every now and then. Two or three times a year, that's fine. We can have a sprint race weekend. But every weekend, I don't like it. But uh, unfortunately, it just doesn't work out for some teams when they get it horribly wrong. Alpha were good this weekend in the sense that in the sprint race, Joe was making – he had, looks like he had some pace. He's making some parceling. He's in the points at one stage. Or, sorry, he was 10th and he was trying to get up into 8th or some, something like – I can't – sorry, I can't remember. But, yeah, they, they were good. I think they would have wanted a bit more out of the car, but it's interesting that they to you know, you know make the ride of their car higher because with a car that has ground effect and the whole idea of it is the lower you get, the suction, you, you know, that's how you create the suction to the floor and the downforce. The higher that your car is riding because of the ride height, uh, you know, lessens all your aerodynamics. So I can imagine what a one and a half millimetre change would make to the whole setup of the car. The car would do things normally that you'd expect it to do, but then you raise it and it would do things that you've never expected so far out of the, you know, the operating parameters that you're expecting. So, yeah, look, it's frustrating for them, but they, they got it right. Unfortunately, they didn't get points, but would it be worth them from a media or a, a marketing sort of lens to just run the car how they wanted to, extract as much pace out of it, get into the points, and then kick up a song and dance about how bad the track is afterwards. That's oh, that for me. The team like that, that's, and then get disqualified. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that's how you play it. Well, we now know what would happen if uh, Campy was team principal. I think it's interesting. It's a good reminder that um, this is a game. This is a game of um, millimeters, not inches. You know, tiny little adjustments like that make a really big difference. Let's move on to Alpha Tauri. Um, so we obviously we had Ricardo back. It was his first race back after his injury. Definitely not the weekend that he would have been after. And he said that he was looking back at his race, both in terms of the sprint race, but also on Sunday. And he said that he kind of felt like he made a couple of moves where he said, oh, you know, I should know better than that. Um, so it's obviously going to take him a couple of races to get back into the swing of things. I don't think he has those, if I'm being honest. Like I think he is under as much pressure as anybody else. As much as he's got the drive for next year, it's not the drive that he wants, as I think we're all pretty um, kind of clued into. But the tricky thing for him and his car in the race was the second they put those hard tyres on, it just totally dropped away. How heartbroken were you not to see uh, him in the points? You know what? I, I, I actually wasn't too bad. The sprint race. I mean, just remember this guy's. This guy had two two races in a car, or one race, then broke his hand at the following weekend, sat out, and then he's had the last <coughs> six to eight weeks off. So for him to come into a sprint race weekend, 
in a car that's dramatically changed since he last got into it, have an hour driving it to try and figure out the setup. Albeit in qualifying for the actual race, he qualified 15th and you know got knocked out of Q1, which is a shame, and got beaten by his teammate. Q2, qualified P11. Um, sorry, in uh, sorry in this in the sprint shootout, qualified P. Yeah, yeah, so the second day comes in, puts it on P11, and his race pace was excellent. Got a crap start. Why he put him? I don't think he got a crap start. He got caught on the inside and got pinched really hard and lost three positions off the start in the sprint race. But he all he did the next the next uh, for that whole race was just. Pick people off, pick people off, pick people off. He passed Stroll on track uh, in an Aston Martin, which Alpha Terry shouldn't be doing. And he was hunting down whoever was in front of him at the time. I think in the last five laps, he, I think it was Ocon, he bridged the gap from five seconds down to just got into DRS and was right up his backside. So he had some genuine pace in that car on the, on the Saturday. And he did yesterday too in the race. Um, he... He started five or six or four positions behind his teammate, got up behind him when he when it was M2, two by two. He got the gap down to two seconds and then the pit stops happened and he decided to go long on that strategy because he showed such good pace on those tyres the previous day after 19, 20 laps. And, you know, strategy hurt him a lot. But even being on those hard tyres and how poor they were, he still got back after... You know, after the second stint, after everything played out and positions reshuffled themselves to what they should have been, he was still two seconds behind Sonoda. Then he had the issue and had to pit again. The tyres fell off. It wasn't going to work. Now, so Sonoda took the shine, but I think that team behind closed doors was looking at the race pace and they were looking at the way Danny Rick drove that car and sometimes results don't go your way and that's fine. But he dominated Sonoda this weekend, albeit except for... The, uh, the first qualifying session. So I I was excited for him. So I was disappointed about his result, but I was excited that he, you know, he got back in and showed he was the class driver that he is. So quick story about him this weekend. Uh, I think it was on the Friday night we were out wandering around town and I re- remembered that he was doing an Enchante pop-up um, in the city. So we're like, oh, I'll go see if it's still open. Um, so we walked down there and just got to the door and there was a, couple of people kind of milling around. I was like, oh, yeah, it must still be open. Got to the door, at which point I realised that he's actually on stage with Rob Baird and we were literally about to walk straight in and then somebody asked us, they're like, oh, can you, what's your name? Are you on the list? <laughs> we're like, oh, this is a private event. But we uh, we watched from the door for a minute uh, as he introduced. <laughs> you should have said I'm Australian. Let me in, dickhead. <laughs> yeah. And it was so sister. funny because I think we were so oblivious to yeah, so oblivious to what was going on that we when you then suddenly kind of dial into your surroundings, Jack Doohan was right behind us and then you kind of start spotting different faces. But we were totally oblivious to what was going on around us that we just kind of unknowingly walked into a who's who of Australian sport basically. Uh, so that was quite entertaining. Just sticking with Alpha Tauri for a second to talk about Yuki. We just got some classic Yuki this weekend, which, um, as you said, it did kind of get a bit of the spotlight, but that's great. Good on him. He's currently sitting 16th in the Drivers' Championship. He took that fastest lap in the on the very last lap. They brought him in for softs, which he didn't know that they were going to do. He was like, why am I coming in? And he's like, oh, okay, I see what you're doing here. Um, so that was great. And uh, on you, Yuki, we love, we love seeing you 
doing well. And he's also really respectful of his teammates, always has been, which is something that uh, I, I really like to see. And what did he finish in the end? Seventh or, no, or eighth in the end? Eighth. Yeah, yeah, so he got what? Eighth after being promoted. Yeah, so he got six points in the end. Jeez. He did have a good weekend and the car, I think, showed some pace. The fact that he could pit with two laps to go and still have a pit stops gap to the teams behind him shows that that car has definitely moved forward since since the mid-season break. Yep, good to see. We love it. Aston Martin. Tricky weekend for them. So they both started from the pit lane because basically they, after um, uh, making massive changes, which they just decided that they had to do, um, and they said it felt much better after they had made those changes. So probably a good decision from them. Difficult weekend, but that's that was the right call, especially when you see, for example, Stroll's improvement. So he started from the pit lane, finished in ninth, was promoted to seventh. Um, which is good to see. You know, you've got to make difficult decisions on a weekend like this and that's one of them and it looks like it paid off for them. Pretty devastating for Alonso to see him have to retire. He had floor damage um, after they had made that decision and he felt like they were going to have decent pace uh, with the changes that they had made. What were your thoughts for for Aston Martin generally this weekend? Yeah, it was a good move to start from the pit because uh, they both got knocked out of Q3 So in, in that first qualifying session on Friday. So... Yeah, they bought some upgrades to the car and they got on track and they really didn't correlate anything to what they thought it was going to be. So they had to make some decisions. They'll be going back to the drawing board for the ne- for the next race in Mexico and uh, trying to figure out what happened off track and in their simulations and their data. So, um, but again, you need time to put these things on car and really understand how they're affecting the car as a whole too. I mean, Mark Webber used the analogy that it's a bit like, oh, why can't you just change this part out? And he said it's a bit like moving a pool from place A to place B and thinking it's a simple solution. No, everything has to change about the whole the whole installation process and the cars. So <sighs> that gives you an idea of, you know, just how, how minute changes can affect these cars massively. So um, when you are driving such a high level into an F1 and the technology that comes with it, the smallest change can give you massive, uh, you know, massive increases or decreases in your overall speed, car feeling, durability, wear on tyres, et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah, um, they got it wrong this weekend, but it was probably a good weekend for Stroll to fight back and do a good job. But so he should be in that car. That car should have a base standard, which if he starts from the pit anywhere, he should generally break back into the top ten. So is it a... The thumbs up for him and the result. It probably looks better because he gained those extra two positions because of the DQs. But uh, yeah, we'll see. We don't need to talk about Stroll anymore, do we? His dad came out and defended him this week, as all good fathers should. Good morning. Moving on to Williams. Uh, both did better than expected this weekend. Also, just in terms of on track, their liveries looked amazing absolutely amazing they looked so great on track and they got quite a, quite a lot of cheers as well people were really keen to get around them which was great we saw a lot of uh hat cowboy hats with giant duracell uh batteries on top of them which was also excellent so sergeant uh qualified 20th finished 10th um so first points 
for Sergeant after the DQ's nap promotion, which is really exciting for him. You know, and I'm sad, like I said, we were talking about earlier that he didn't get the appropriate celebration for that because it's quite momentous for him. You know, it's been a long time coming. He's had a really difficult season and he's very honest about it. And I think this is the difference with, um, you know, performance on on track is that he will come out and say, look, I made these mistakes and it was it was me this weekend. He hit sausage curb. He lost a few places from that. But he's just very um, kind of honest uh, and tells us tells us what happened, tells us when it was him, tells us when it was a you know a strategy issue, whatever it might be, um, and doesn't really shy away from just talking about how his performance in a really honest way, which I quite like. Um, Albon qualified 18th, finished in ninth after his promotion. So all in all, a surprisingly good weekend for Williams. Personally, I like Sergeant. I like the way he approaches it. I, I, we've been critical of his results and his spot on the grid, and that's cool because that's what we do. But yeah, you're right. He he approaches the personality side of it great. Big weekend for him this weekend. That's what his second race in the US this year. So Texas is the you know the original, well, the, not the original, but the American track that we've had on the on the, on the calendar for the last you know, decade now. So. Big moment for him and to, to score the points the way he did. I just don't think we got to celebrate it the way that it that it was deserved. Um, shame for him. I mean, it's big enough just to get into F3 or F2 and have the financial backing to do so, but then to actually get into F1 and then get on the grid and then if we had our point sister from yesteryear, to even score points in Formula 1 is a massive deal. You're in a pretty small elite club of human beings over the... <laughs> you know, there'd probably be only a thousand people that scored points in Formula One over its history. So, look, unfortunate for him, but I'll, I'll stay for him and I'll stay for for Williams. Albon didn't get the most out of the car this weekend. He had some strategy issues, and I know they pitted early, tried to go to hard with the strategy, but but it worked out for them, and they they leapfrogged their main competitors like the the Haas and the Alfa Romeos like they should have. So, fair. It's probably overall a good weekend, good result for them. Let's just take a quick back break and we'll be back shortly. Today we discuss Miro. Today I want to talk about the hellscape that is technical diagramming, right? Everybody's nodding their heads right now, uh uh-huh. And there is a potential solution that I want to share. There was one name that several people brought up. I did some digging and it's kind of nuts how much this program Miro has for developers. I have to share this. It could potentially be a game changer for you. So my favorite part about Miro is that half the work is already done. Like right now, typically we spend hours starting diagrams from scratch, gathering information. You get buy-in from every team. Uh, You know, that's a lot of work to do. But Miro has a full set of integrations with the tools you're probably already using. And they also offer open APIs and SDKs for custom solutions for all those niche diagramming use cases we have to do, right? So the end result is the same, but it doesn't take forever. It's a massive, massive time saver. I'm transforming basic flowcharts and network architectures, and it all lives in one place. So are you using Miro? Have you used it? I want to hear. That's M-I-R-O.com. Looking for a new career? Welcome to Do HVAC Training Service Center in North Charleston. Enroll today in our comprehensive HVAC training hands-on field experience-based program covering troubleshooting, maintenance, installation, and more on various HVAC systems and ductwork. We offer EPA and NAIT preparation and testing, along with various certifications. Enjoy payment options. Take advantage of their November specials. Achieve certification in under five months. Enroll now for your new journey of skill development and career advancement. Log on to DEWH. Training sc.com to inquire. 
we're back. Let's get stuck in talking about Alpine. So we had a sixth place and a DNF, yet another one for the Alpines this weekend. So Ocon now has the highest number of DNFs uh, this season and he had contact with Oscar, which saw him out of the race. But so a great qualifying effort from both these cars. <laughs> um, I'm going to hand this one over to you, Campy. <laughs> Off you go. Fucking Ocon, seriously. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is the team that I just <laughs> every week you're trying to find good things to say about them, and this happens. Oh, look, I, I think the first one was a bit of a racing incident. The race yesterday, I, I think I put sheerly all of the blame on him, his car awareness this weekend, and ruined Oscar's race too in both races, really. So, uh, yeah, look, real shame. You can understand. Crashes happening and mistakes happening, but two weekends in a row being in that position, two races over a weekend, that is that is frustrating. Um, but the car seemed to be performing this week. Um, Gasly had a good result too, albeit with a you know a couple of, couple of disqualifications, so it looks better on paper than what it actually was. But um, good on him, good on them. They've got a car, their baseline is... They're a funny team because they've performed. Like I'll go back to the years Danny Rick was there, and you know they had a purple patch where he was, you know, top five for twelve of the twenty races we had, and there was a few weeks in there where he got podiums consistently, and you know was two or three seconds behind behind the podiums. You know he was driving really well, so that car for me should have a base level that is fairly competitive. It's just the uh, it seems to be the, that extra. One to two percent, they need at the top end of the car, and maybe they get that from a driver change, or maybe they get that from the new investment in the team and the restructure that's going under at the moment. But it's, for me, they're a frustrating team because they should be better than what they are. All the resources, probably the biggest OEM in the world, uh, albeit they're French. So, oh, look, it's frustrating. They should be better. Yes, that was news that came out over the course of the week was the new investment group for Alpine, basically a myriad of who's who of athletes and other other sports coming in and investing in, in Alpine, which was interesting. It kind of caused, like ruffled a lot of feathers and people were very excited about it. And I suppose I looked at it and I thought, it confuses me, to be entirely honest. And at the end of the day, they still don't have a team principal. So you can have all of these people interested in your team, but you still need to be able to deliver when it comes to your organisational structure and translating that to, you know, operational processes and performance on track. So I found that news a little bit um, confusing, to be honest, when it comes to uh, the team and the sport and why, especially because a lot of them are Americans and it's a French team. So to me, a lot of it didn't really line up, but we'll see if there's anything interesting that does come from, from that news, uh, probably not for the next couple of seasons. I'll just say, we spoke about it when the guy, Ryan Reynolds, and his mate bought in for a percentage of it. And <laughs> what they've done with that footy club over there, I can see what they're trying to do for Alpine in the sport. But don't, as the FIA and Formula One ticks off on all these investments before, you have to go through the process of making sure that, you you know, we want you in the sport, alas, all of the uh, the Russian driver Nikita Mazepin. That won't happen again in this sport. So the hoops you've got to jump through. I think are a good thing. Don't the flip side is don't treat Andretti Motorsport with the bullshit you've treated them in the last three years trying to break into this sport and mm-hmm. get on the grid, and then 
rush these decisions through about the personnel that are allowed to invest in LP. I don't like it. It's not a good look because Antretti is a motorsport's got a long history, particularly in America. It's got success in every category that it's ever run. It's got massive junior programs, massive developments for motorsport as a whole, but yet he's made to jump through hoops that just are seemingly impossible. I don't like it. So sort that out, F1. Yeah, it's an interesting one because it's, especially with them, they've shown their kind of commitment and dedication, obviously, to motorsport through their years and years in what they're doing in other categories. And I think the thing that I get concerned about sometimes, particularly at the moment with F1, when you see those types of characters coming in as we have with our paying investors, is that you get that sense of looking for the next shiny thing. And so how long is that commitment going to last? How dedicated are you actually? I mean, you'd hope that it's a bit given what I'm sure will be a lot of money that they're putting in, but there isn't that kind of, I suppose, historical demonstration of interest in the sport, interest in trying to make it progress. They're not they're not people who you see on the grid, um, the grid walk, you know, weekend in, weekend out because they're there loving the sport like you do with people like David Beckham and Patrick Dempsey. Um, Will I am, think whatever you want of him. He loves the sport and wants to be involved and keeps showing up everywhere. You know, these people have nothing to have had nothing to do with with F1 as far as I am aware. That could be that could be wrong, but I just think, you know, that track record as you're talking about when it comes to their their dedication and commitment to trying to elevate motorsport as a whole and in doing so being part of this category would only be a good thing and like you said they've, they've got the history behind them. All right, let's move on to Ferrari. So, we had just, you know, just some more heartbreak as though they couldn't have any more. Uh, Leclerc putting it on pole. He thought that he had been disqualified or he had his lap time deleted for track limits. Turns out that was for Max Verstappen. He didn't have a great strategy this weekend and he dropped behind Lando Norris into seventh in the Drivers' Championship as a result of this weekend. Signs qualified fourth, um, finished, well, third actually. Um, I think now after uh, the DQ, so back on the podium. I think that makes my prediction a bit more solid. Um, I thought that he might do pole this weekend. Um, he he managed his tyres really well though and it's not something we often say about Ferrari. Uh, he seemed to have a really uh, solid race in comparison to Leclerc which just felt a little bit more fragile in terms of how they were going about things. Anything shocking for you this weekend with the the two drivers from Ferrari? Well, look, Leclerc, for me, in the last, if we take the last seven or eight races, for me, something's happened to him in the car, and I'm not sure what it is. It's uh, it's it's totally right. That word's the best word. Of fragile. He, we know what he can do. We know he can perform, and we know he's a world class driver. But he's been put under pressure by Carlos and Carlos has got some results over him. Seemingly things have shifted in the direction that we're probably pushing towards Leclerc, getting another big contract extension and Ferrari backing him for the next four or five years to get them the world championship. I think that tide's changed a bit, and I think we've seen that in the way of a bit of the driving. Leclerc's had some races where he's been absolutely nowhere. Oh, but he wasn't nowhere this weekend. Still relatively mm. close, but... Uh, Oh, Carlos is definitely getting the better of his teammate at the moment and I think that pressure has – I think this is the first time in Leclerc's 
career, really, where that pressure is starting to show on his on-track performances. And we know he wants it, but he's just trying too hard. <coughs> Carlos has always been great on his tyres. And this is the track where you need to be extra careful on your tyres because there's so many variables and they didn't know how things were going to play out. They hadn't even tested the the hard tyre before. They had to use it in a race condition under high fuel loads. So, mm. yeah, I think... I think Carlos is playing the smart game at the moment. Yep. He's certainly had a resurgence, that is for sure, and he's putting the pressure on Leclerc, which is fantastic, I think. You know, you want to have two drivers that are pushing each other constantly. Um, I don't think it's a good look for a team and I don't think you get the best out of each of the teammates when one is so dominant over the other. If we kind of look at what's happening as much as, you know, it's 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 a while back, but when we did have uh, Vista, uh, Max and Checo actually both up there in the earlier stages of the season, you can see them pushing each other really well, whereas, you know, it, it's, not a, it's not great for teammates or the sport when you have one starting to, um, you know, just dominate the other. So I think the pressure that you have between those two is actually really good. It's just about how they're going to manage it within the team. And like you said, Leclerc, there's just something potentially they need to look at uh, this weekend. But like you said, he wasn't nowhere, um, finished, well, would have finished sixth um, had his result stood. Moving on to McLaren, heartbreak for our boy, Campy. Uh, he is sitting ninth in the drivers' uh, championships at championship at the moment. But this weekend was just not to be for him. Yeah, he was he was that two tenths off off his teammate, which is where he's probably been for, at the start of the year. Uh, it's hard though; he's never raced this track before, first time on it. We saw that he went to Japan, and you know everyone's gone. This is the first time he's driven at this track. Excellent. This was one of those weekends. It was. I, I don't think it was a rookie weekend because he still performed excellently and he still put the car in positions that we expect him to be and at times he was up the front, you know, putting laps together that that suggested, you know, this kid's got the talent. But he didn't put it all together. And he himself, he approached it, he said, yeah, look, it's not my greatest weekend. I struggled to get on top of it. Obviously incidents on the first laps of uh, each race suffered him, you know, the results suffered accordingly. But um, he'll take that one in his stride. It's a learning opportunity for him, the whole experience. You know, he's got to have all these good and bad up and down weekends. You're going to get that from a rookie and a lot of it, some of it's not his fault, but some of it was his fault too. He wasn't extracting the pace out of the car that we know he's capable of. But that'll come with experience. And Oscar's a kid that doesn't, uh, he doesn't make the same mistakes twice. He genuinely learns things from every race weekend. So going into Mexico, he'll be great. He's not raced there either, but it's another learning experience. He'll, you know, hopefully gets on track and does what we know he can do. I think he's got a great mentor in Weber. Weber was known as the guy to set up cars and build cars from scratch. Um, I mean, look what happened with that Red Bull. So I think I think more than just a manager, I think Weber will be uh, uh, helping him off garage and you know the mentorship off track and talking to engineers and getting the best out of the cars, learning the terminologies and the language that go with it, but how to explain what's happening in the car on track, off track. Look, the future's bright for Oscar. We don't need to worry about this weekend. Be a footnote in his in his Formula One history. By the time he finishes, he'll be a multi-time <laughs> world champion, and we'll go from there. So, yeah, look, I'm not too fussed about it. His teammate Lando Norris uh, started second, finished third, but then ele- 
promoted to second. Uh, he had a great start. Um, he was leading this race for a while. Um, he had some battles with Max about halfway through the race, but that was to me just evidence that he, like, you just can't hold off Max in a Red Bull. Like, it looks good for a couple of corners, but there's just no way that he can can hold him off. No one can. Um, this is his fourth uh, successive podium. So he's on a bit of a streak and, look, whatever you, you know, like I said, we're, we've all got a, a little bit of a pain in our hearts still because of uh, Daniel Ricciardo, but you can't you can't say this wasn't a, a good weekend from him and he's getting some really good results recently. Yep, and I'm shocked that McLaren turned it around the way they did. We'd heard about when that car had the aerodynamics of a fridge at the start of the year, couldn't do anything on yeah. low speed, medium speed or high speed tracks and corners. Uh, they always talked about from the start of the year, oh, we got this new got this update that's coming. It's going to be painful until then. We're all going, oh, yeah, this is the marketing team coming out. You can't polish a turd, blah, blah, blah. But they, it actually came and they got results straight away and the gains were significant and it put them on the map. And, oh, look, I didn't – that would have been the last thing I put money on at the start of the year that McLaren would be performing like this. But we've really seen the turn from Aston Martin's start of the year and McLaren's finish of the year. They are polar opposites to probably – uh, sorry, they're polar opposites compared to where we thought they would be at the start of the year. So, yeah, good yeah. good on them. Zach Brown, still off him, it's, but he's done it's, well. <laughs> it's also a good reminder, I suppose, next year maybe when we are getting into, you know, our fourth or fifth race of the season to look back on this and you just see how many different directions it could go in. You have those teams that kind of don't really go anywhere they have a bit of a meh season and then you have others who go really strongly in a positive direction, others who seem to go backwards with their upgrades. So we can think about this moment next year when we start uh, looking at who's coming out of the gates well in the 2024 season. Let's talk about Mercedes. I was cheering on Hamilton and it felt really weird, but there was just something about seeing him back up the top really confidently in a car that had great pace over the whole weekend and it felt right <laughs> to say it that way, I suppose. Um, he had that really slow pit stop, uh, so he put him out behind Lando, which was obviously really frustrating for him but regained second place. Not until lap 49, though, he really had to work for it and there were some exciting few corners just before where I could see, unfortunately, but we could hear the crowd. They'd tried for a one-stop. Um, unfortunately, it didn't work out for them, so they just had to adapt. Um, which they which they did well overall, but that disqualification is going to hurt Hamilton badly in his uh, effort to try and knock Sergio Perez off second in the drivers' championship. I just think it's good for the sport when someone like Hamilton is doing well and up there and challenging for podiums. There's just something about I think the competitive spirit that you you get. Um, and we really felt it in the crowd. The people were were really supportive of him, um, and that was something that I wouldn't say it necessarily surprised me, but you just suddenly realise how much each one of these drivers contribute to the sport and the competitive nature of what we're watching. Uh, Russell had a struggle this weekend. You know, he kind of did all right, um, but Toto said afterwards he he didn't feel right in this car. Yeah, look, I mean, the upgrade that Mercedes bought clearly worked. and as an organisation, you would expect that from the last decade they've had in this sport that they're the 
know, the, the cream of the crop, and they can integrate these upgrades into cars. We know that over the last couple of years that their design philosophy, they've been pretty pig-headed about this is the right way to go. But as soon as they've cut it, they've moved on to what everybody else has done. The design philosophy in the car, this car will get quick and it'll only get quicker. I would hope we see another Red Bull Mercedes fight like we did in 2021 uh, next year. Uh, I just think for the sport it'll be great. But uh, Mercedes are back. I think they are. We will see... We'll see this car get better and better. But the gap to Red Bull could be too big next year because we know how long, how much Red Bull have not invested this year and, and focusing on next year. But, uh, yeah, you're right about Hamilton. He's great around this track and he loves this place. He's won here six or seven times, I think. So, albeit in a car that was dominating, he does genuinely like this. And these are the weekends that Lewis performs, and when he performs on this level and then goes on a run of four or five races like that, that's when we start to question whether Russell is really up to it because we'll go to Mexico and Lewis loves that track too. If Lewis, if Lewis does this three or four races in a row, we're going to be like, geez, what's wrong, with, uh, what's wrong with Russell? And I think Russell is more competent than Lewis's teammates over the last few years have been, but... It's hard for a driver too once he's getting consistently beaten down. Now he's been Russell's been fairly competitive with Hamilton over their time as teammates together, and one lap pace he's probably he's better than than Hamilton over one lap. But it's that when when Lewis is actually racing for something and racing for results, it's a different story. Absolutely, he is an absolute hunter when it comes to being out of position and making an incredible race for those who are watching. So great to see him back up the top again. Finally, we'll talk about Red Bull. So Verstappen out of place in sixth after a lap time deleted and qualifying, but of course he did, finished in first. Uh, Perez qualified ninth, was in fifth, but promoted to third after the DQs. A, A good weekend for Perez, generally speaking, despite the fact that he was not happy with his setup. He was struggling on the hards, but still now, you know, up in fourth place. And after, like I said, after the DQs, that goes a long way when it comes to the the drivers' championships. How are you feeling about Perez at the moment, Campy? Oh, dead man walking at the moment. He is done. <laughs> I said he is done. I said last week he needs to be within three tenths of max in qualifying, and he needs to be on a podium every race. The fact that. He comes in, and yes, I know the car hasn't been as quick as it has been, but when your teammate's winning and the way that he's winning for the last all season, basically, for him to not be an absolute shoe-in for second place is is completely wrong. So, yeah, he's a dead man walking. Well, there's some big issues and rumours of issues in, in Red Bull at the moment too, so I think that may have a... That may throw a bit of the spanner in the works, Danny Rick getting into the the senior team again moving forward. So I think Christian Horn is very much in Danny Rick's corner, but there is some tensions rumoured rumored to be within that organisation between Helmut Marco and uh, and Christian Horn or about the direction of the team moving forward. We know Dietrich Massachusetts passed away uh, about a year, a year and a bit ago now. So we know the Red Bull organisation has not been as loving and friendly to Red Bull as a team moving forward. And I think the power struggle is in who has ownership or the rights to this team moving forward and who can read the bet, who can, who can 
get the most amount of money for the team to be its sole principal, a bit like a Toto Wolf and how he controls Mercedes. So that's where the tension will be. And it sounds like Max has, uh, has backed Helmut Marco in. So, uh, yeah, I think those tensions could be coming to fruition. Now, if Helmut Marco gets control of that team, Sergio Perez is gone, snap of the fingers, see you later, and they'll bring someone else in. I... I It'll be a struggle for Danny Rick to get into that team before it happens. But I think there's a bit more to play out in this story, ownership of the team and direction and stuff. So it won't happen overnight. It might be a bit of a slow burn. Yeah, it's an interesting one because obviously they're in such a strong position on track, but it does feel like there is a little bit of kind of trouble in the water perhaps and you never know how that is going to translate to to performance um, as well as the decisions that guide it. So watch this space potentially. But Perez, hopefully, after a reasonable weekend, feels good about going, of course, into his home race in Mexico next weekend. I met some Checo supporters this weekend and there were, I mean, there were a lot of them, but there were some in particular who were very passionate. So it was great to meet them and they're following him around the world and they just in their heart of hearts adore him. And what was really interesting is that for many of the Checo supporters that we chatted to, they they love Checo but not at the expense of anybody else. They don't dis, they weren't dissing all the other drivers. They, were just, they just love Checo. Um, and it's interesting because, of course, it was Mexico where we got all the booing last year. Um, so that's maybe not the on uh, mass reflection of, of the fans but certainly the ones that we met were very passionate. Max, not too much to say here except for the fact that he had to work for it, um, which I think is, you know, we kind of like seeing it um, because it's just a little bit less uh, predictable perhaps um, in terms of what we'll see on track and, of course, gives us some great racing. He had a slow pit stop as well, which nearly put a spanner in the works but still came out in front of Norris um, and had some brake issues all weekend um, and so was having to look after the tyres in a way that he doesn't usually have to. Um, he had to work quite differently um, by the sounds of things. Yeah, he, he was pretty frustrated during the race actually. So these feel nothing like they did yesterday, carried on a bit like a child when he's in the lead of a race. But uh, I wonder too how much of it is just <sighs> he has to show up and he's got to compete and he's got to race and he's sewn up the world championship. Wonder how much they're just sort of giving uh, giving Mercedes a bit of false hope about <laughs> what they can do on track too. I think <laughs> we know we know Max loves to play those games. You know, he loves to yeah. You know, he loves to just not beat people. He loves to crush them and you know, absolutely shatter their souls in terms of racing. And <laughs> <laughs> it's perfect, Max, to come in and oh yeah, we got problems. He was never going to lose that race. And, Apparently the issue yeah. had been there all weekend too. So anyway, they'll be right. They'll be fine. And the other thing I'll say about Checo fans, we know how they feel. We've been Danny Rick supporters the last few years. Yep. It's tough. <laughs> exactly. The difference being at the expense of my at the expense of other drivers too, you know. Couldn't stand Lando. <laughs> I wanted to win, I wanted to invade the homeland, you know. We are so. nowhere near as gracious, <laughs> that is for sure. Um, Campy, tell me who was your driver of the day? Oh, good question. Um, gonna have to give it to. I'm gonna have to give it to Hamilton. I don't think we've seen a drive like that from him this year. A whole weekend too. Sprint race, he had some pace and he was excited. You know, it was about five or six laps there. He's within two seconds of uh, Max and holding it and 
Oh, I think Hamilton. Yeah, I'll give it to him. I'm really glad that you've checked the run sheet then because you'll say that I've given it to Hamilton as well. Oh, did you? Uh, because, for, those ex- yeah, for those exact reasons uh, because it was a great, it was a great drive. Um, we saw a bit of Hamilton of old and I think, like I said earlier, I think it's really good for the sport. But to keep things interesting, I am going to then – I'll give it to Yuki um, after he nabbed fastest lap at the end. He had a great race, um, nice little points haul, which he should be happy about. That is our team-by-team analysis for this week. Next week we go to Mexico, followed by Brazil, United States again to Las Vegas. I can't wait to see what trash show that is going to be. And then Abu Dhabi at the very end, of course, Thanks for joining me, Campy. We've still got a few episodes left and hopefully we'll get our boy James back very soon. Final reflections of Circuit of the Americas. Look, the greatest country in the world, isn't it, Texas? It's a great place, great atmosphere. It looked like fun. I was jealous I wasn't there with you. So uh, next year maybe, next year. So, um, no, look, it's, it's, it's an event and it seems like every year this, this race gets bigger and better. Um, and all the off-track as an, as an event and all the things going on around it. it's. Uh, I think it'll be another jewel in the crown as an event moving forward and uh, everything, everything in Texas is bigger and I'm all about that. So bigger trucks, bigger flags, and yeah, it's great. All right, thank you for joining me and thank you listeners for joining us as well. If you want to support the show, you can head on over to our website and join our Patreon. Link is there. You could also pick up some merch and, of course, our YouTube. We are chasing 1,000 subscribers. Hopefully by the time James gets back, we'll have hit that uh, so we can say that it was basically you and me, Camby, because I think that's, that's obviously um, the logic that we can we can apply there. <laughs> and you can also find us, of course, on Instagram. Thanks so much and we'll see you next weekend. You and James are good, so you'll be right. You'll get on the grid. You'll be interviewing all these people one day. I won't be, so I'm not fussed yeah. about it. <laughs> I'll, just, I'll just say everything you want. Okay, here's how Miro works. See, it's amazing. What's everyone doing at David's desk? Ever since marketing started using Miro's collaborative online whiteboard, he thinks all our other teams should sign up. Why? He says Miro's making his meetings disappear. And if every team gets on it, that means even less meetings. They're using Miro for brainstorms, mind maps, customer research. So could we use Miro instead of having another 100 meetings for every round of feedback? Yep. You can comment, react to ideas, even leave a recording on the board. And what about presentations? There are Miro templates for that. How do you know so much about Miro? I've actually been using it all along. I just used a Miro board to plan the best vacation. Okay, I'm on board. See how Miro users save up to 80 hours every year by meeting less and doing more. Get on board at Miro.com with three boards free forever. That's M I R O.com. Sports Social Podcast Network.